Amen. Thank you so much, Sanctuary Choir, and uh, thank you all for being here today. This is a special day, as you know. Um, it is my honor and it is my privilege to introduce to you uh, Dr. Billy Brown. Dr. Brown um, is a man of character, a man of integrity. Leslie and I met him many years ago. And um, I've often said, and I even mentioned to our small group this morning, that humanly speaking, Dr. Brown is the reason that uh, we got started in Jamaica Ministries, and the reason that everyone that stood a little bit ago uh, has been involved. God used this man um, to start this ministry. And uh, I've watched his life through the years, and, and I tell you, uh, he is an incredible example. He is our mentor in missions, and, uh, and we have just tried to follow uh, his example of missions and ministry. And I'm so thrilled that he's here. In your worship guide, you will find uh, some information, a biography if you will, a bio of his life. I want you to know that we lifted this from another church. Um, Dr. Brown does a lot of speaking, and, um, and so we found this, and, uh, and it says so much about his life and his ministry. And, uh, Doc, we love you. We love you. And we are honored that you are here scattered throughout this congregation or men and women uh, who have been on the island because uh, of uh, you and, uh, and that have been involved in construction and jail ministry and church and schools and, and uh, clinics and hospitals and all that, that uh, we have. And so we, we want to present something to you. If you would, would you come here? I want to read the plaque to you. A cripple now, yeah. <laughs> Presented to Dr. Billy Brown, founder and director of Safe Pasture International. Thank you for the many lives you have touched and continue to touch. July 1st, 2018. Would you give him a gigantic, gigantic hand clap? Stay on. You got to get me fixed here. You're on. Well, I'm on. <laughs> Thank you so much for the invitation. It's so good to be here and good to be with Tony. Uh, known Tony. A long time. I appreciate him very much, and I won't tell you everything I know on him. But you know, Tony's been an inspiration to me. I call him a son in the ministry. The first time I read that bio, now I didn't write that. Uh, several years ago, I was invited back to my home 
town, a little village that I grew part way up in until I was 14. I left, went to the military. But they wanted a bio. Well, I really didn't have one. I had partials, you know, where I'd serve different things in the association, everything but a WMU director. And uh, I, I, I wasn't qualified for that. But I, I did enjoy uh, working in all, all those other positions. But I really never had much of a bio. And uh, I know in the Jamaica missions, you know, uh, uh, Leslie and Tony, probably Leslie, <laughs> wrote, wrote something in the book that they so graciously give out each year, and they do a wonderful job. And Tony, you've just been doing a great job, you and all the others. I look out and see some of the members of the team and uh, what you've meant through all the years uh, to people. But uh, they wanted something, so led on my uh, aid here, and the gentleman that uh, invited me, uh, they, they're the ones that wrote all this stuff up. And uh, I looked at it, and I said, who is that? <laughs> uh, but I appreciate it very much, and I've gone back for four years now. I thought they'd get tired of it, but I was there when the memorial was dec uh, uh, instituted in 1946, right after World War II. It was a little, little kid, 11 years old, in the Boy Scouts. I never dreamed that one day I'd be speaking there, but then the time came that they called me and a lot of things had taken place. Uh, and so I go, and now I speak uh, quite a bit. I work with veterans. I'm in the Corps of Chaplains, and I went into the Corps about 20 years ago. I read a publication. There was a shortage, and I went in, and they uh, asked me to uh, come in for a final interview. And in my final interview, I had all the qualifications, uh, educational-wise, a little bit of military behind me and so forth. Been about halfway around the world doing things, and they commissioned me. And then a few years ago, the uh, commander called me and asked if uh, I would serve in headquarters. One of the people retired, and I said, no, sir, I don't think I want to do that. I'm happy where I am. He said, well, I need you. I said, well, sir, I appreciate that, but I'd rather just sort of stay where I am because my qualifications when they commissioned me, as they commissioned me as a colonel, and I said, I don't want to get any, because then everybody looks at you like you, it's pretentious, you know. And who is this guy? And uh, so anyway, I went to uh uh, annual meeting and uh, he had already done it and uh, promoted me. I said, don't do that. And so he, they, they promoted me and in headquarters uh, there's, there's four generals and, and I am one of them. And several years ago I was invited to Atlanta, the capital of Georgia uh, is there, which I'm sure many of you know that. And we have a wreath laying every year for the uh, KIA world, uh, from the Korean War, those that were killed, 740. 
and they invited me to have a part in the services. And so we've been there uh, for several years now involved. And, and I look out and I see all the brass that's out there. And, uh, and I'm the ranking general. And uh, so I'm quick to tell them, now look, in, in the regular military, I was not a general. I was not a commissioned officer. Uh, my stars are chaplain stars, but they have been earned just like you earned yours. And, uh, but I was a squad leader in the parachute infantry uh, in the Korean War. I parachuted in the Korea when I was 16, just a little boy. And I'll tell you what, I learned some things. And it was there that God, uh, uh, or I spoke to God, and anyway, later we, we got together. I commend you for your service. Before I get started, I want to commend you. I want to commend you, Tony, for your leadership in our Lord's work. And Leslie and all the others out there in the work that you're doing in leadership. And I commend the church for having a service like this because we need it so much. Because we're in a day that somehow or another there's a departure from patriotism and you know all that stuff that's going on but I commend you because it's very close to my heart it's just as much of me it's, it's in my blood as it's in your blood and I work mostly now very very busy with veterans and there's a time in my life back in the 70s I'd never tell a person I'd been in the military didn't even want to talk about it didn't want to get involved with it and I was very actively engaged in pastoring and building churches, organizing churches halfway around the world. But then something happened, and that changed. And then when it did, uh, and I reached a certain point, I said, I'll devote my time now, Lord, to the chaplain's work, mainly with veterans. How many veterans we have this morning here? Okay, thank you, thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Very special people. All God's people are special. But I told somebody not long ago in a, excuse me, in a service that a lot of times we wonder why is that veteran a little strange at times <clears throat> or it might appear a little different. You have, to, you have to stop and think of this. That there was a time that we were stripped completely of our humanity and probably most of us placed in a position that the only one in this world we could rely on was each other and if we had any indicate any information about God then look into God but now when you leave the service you may hang up your uniform, but you don't hang up your experiences. And people say, well, they don't want to talk about it. But the reason for it, let me tell you this, fellas and ladies, you know this. Because you won't understand. And But see, when we get together, we're very comfortable, just as God's people are. We're very comfortable. We don't get together and brag and talk about this and that or the other, who did this. 
but it's a thing, it's a, it's a feeling that we have of confidence in one another. Although we may not have physically served at the same time, we did in the same way. So when somebody says, well, he or she don't really want to talk about it, it's, it's just that they don't want to get involved in trying to explain things somebody wouldn't understand. If you'll turn with us this morning to John uh, chapter 8, the Gospel of John chapter 8. I don't have a, I've got a bunch of watches. My best watch I got at Walmart. <laughs> and uh, it's broke. And so all these other, <laughs> I've got some pretty nice watches. But I like it. And so I go in and get another battery put in. And, and, and it's still broke. And the others are still in the box. And so I have to use this to make sure that I don't get overboard. And Tony gave me another decoration this morning. And uh, I appreciate it. I used to kid the people where I was pastoring. And, uh, you know, I'd have one of these gizmos. I'd say, I don't want one. I'm afraid I'm like, liable to get hung and hang myself. You remember back when I had those long cords? And, uh, but I have a tendency to walk around a little bit, so... I appreciate this, Tony, uh, very much. But in, in it, I, I was speaking in the church not long ago, going back to the, revisiting the title thing. And the, and the man said, I don't know what any dish is, reverend, doctor, uh, general, or what. I said, I'm just Billy. <laughs> That's it. You can't miss with that, okay? And if you'll turn with us, John Gospel chapter 8, please, and could we stand? As we honor God's word. And the Bible says, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had followed him, If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Father, today we thank you for this truth. We thank you for this church, these people, the pastors, the leaders. And we thank you for your word. Most of all, for your sacrificial atonement for us on Calvary's cross so that truly we're free. And we ask your blessings upon the reading of your word. Plant it as you will, sir, in all hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Excuse me, I did not introduce my aide, uh, uh, Captain Leslie Schoonover. I'm sorry. Very important part of my life. Drives me to different places, and the Corps appointed her because they knew that I was getting a little feeble, I guess, or in mind and everything else. But then I'll say, well, I forgot my glasses. she say, here they are. Well, where is this? Well, here it is. And that, that means a lot to you, doesn't it? And uh, you know, isn't that right, Leslie? <laughs> yeah, no, I know, I know this couple. They work good together. And everywhere they've been, there's been a lot of success. So uh, I wanted to, uh, she's a very uh, important part of my life and keeps me straight. Uh, as I mentioned a little while ago on Memorial Day, I was back home in this little village, textile village, 
bringing the word. What a blessing. And as I looked out and the rain came, as I looked out and saw all of these people standing out there in the rain with umbrellas, the honor guard standing over there without any protection whatsoever, a big group of Boy Scouts and so forth, and everybody listening. And I told the people, I said, thank you for coming, and especially today, because you have also strengthened my belief in the people of America. Because if we think of all of the things that are going on today, all of the differences and so forth, and what happens each year during World War II, there were 12 young men that were killed from that little village that worked in that little textile plant. And so in 1946, they erected a memorial for them. And they had this beautiful, beautiful service. There were thousands of people there at that time. And I was there as a Boy Scout, 11 years old. Now you know my age, you figure that out. Uh, which doesn't matter with me. But that I thought about all of the blessings that God had sent there to that little village and these young men that had walked the past and worked there and all of their plans and all of their future had gone down the tube. And all that they had given for freedom and I remembered how that we worked together in World War II. We had victory gardens. We had scrap piles. And I, I see some folks shaking their head. You remember that? In this little village, we never locked a door. In fact, I don't even think we had a key to the house. We didn't worry about anything like that. And everybody worked together and, and, and supported uh, our troops. Well, after... The war then, they erected that memorial, and each year we assemble now to honor them and all of those that have been killed in the defense of our country. Someone might say the defense of our country. Well, now we've got troops over in Afghanistan and so forth. Yes. And we've had troops abroad ever since World War II. But now, freedom is not free. World War II was won by a very unique uh, group of people. People that had been developed over a period of about 200 years, a generation, a special generation that could meet the challenge of World War II. I don't know if we've had another generation in all respects since then like them. All of the hardships they had gone through, everything they'd gone through to reach that point, and they, young men and women, when we were threatened, our freedom of the whole world, they went off and they fought and they served and they won freedom. Now, ever since then, yes, we've been having conflicts, we've been having wars, but freedom is not free. All of this is payments. We have to keep making payments to retain the freedom that they won for us. 
So thank God for those that still serve because they're keeping them out of our front yard. Why do we send them, people say? Why do we send them there? Because when they're there, they're not over here trying to fight them, but they're over there keeping them out of our country as best that they can. Now, there's a lot of confusion about freedom. Now, the people that Jesus was talking to, they were in bondage. They were in political bondage. They were in spiritual bondage. And these Jewish people, Jesus is trying to educate those people and inform them of the truth. And the truth, he says, will make you free. And the truth is him. The truth is Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. And all things were made by him that was made. And without him was not anything made. And if you notice, he uses the word disciple. Then you will be my disciple. Now then, let me issue something, a challenge. Find a place in the gospel where Jesus said, and you will be my Christian. Everybody says they're a Christian. There's a difference. A disciple is someone that pursues the Word of God and training and is found serving after they accept Christ as their Savior. There's a lot of folks today that say they're Christian. Are they a disciple? Are they serving? Where are they? A lot of them worships today in the football stadium. You know, when all this stuff got started about NFL, and I heard one on the news the other day, he was bragging and, uh, about how that, well, we go out to play ball, we go out to play ball and win a game. We don't go out there for anything else. Well, I wanted to just grab a hold of his collar and say, look, Buster, you can play that game because somebody else has already paid for your freedom. But you see, they're blind. They're blind to the truth. <clears throat> These folks were blind. The Jews were looking for someone that would become and take over everything politically. And all the time God had been trying to train them that uh, a Messiah would come, that one day that he would come. He had come to man in the written word. He had come to man through the prophets. And then the time came that he became flesh. And he became individually and the Bible says, we that have seen him have seen God. What is God like? Well, what is Jesus? What does he look like? Well, what is Jesus like? Well, what do you look like? Because when people look at us, do they see Jesus? And that's the only one, that's the only example they're going to have until we actually one day stand before him. And he has set all things in order. We were talking the other week. My aide and I, she's a school teacher for years and years and years. She's smart, smart, a lot smarter than me. And I was talking about how odd I am as I look out at God's creation and all of the things that are in order and how that all things that God has created works together and in harmony. I'm saying what he created. 
And she says, yes, you know, man's mind is linear. I said, what in the world do you mean by that? She said, well, everything that we know of has a beginning, has an end, don't it? Pick up a book, has a beginning, has an end. Uh, movie has a beginning, has an end, so forth. Well, God in his realm, everything turns in a perfect circle in movement all the time. It's always moving. I said, that is absolutely profound to think about that. That everything God has set in motion is, is, is moving all the time. And everything worked good if man would leave it alone. But somehow or another, it's hard for a man to leave some things alone that he shouldn't mess with. But Jesus is trying to uh, get across to these people that are blind. And we have many people today that are blind, willfully. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, For if the gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are blind. That Satan has blinded so they cannot know the truth. And this is the thing that happens so much, and we see that today politically, and spiritually. Political blindness, spiritual blindness. The main thing is spiritual. We get right with God, we'll be a good citizen. A person may be a good citizen and not be right with God. But you can't be right with God and not be a good citizen because the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us to be obedient to the laws that we are under. Now, right now, what we're seeing in our country is a step away from anarchy. We're seeing today a mess. Every time something happens, and of course, we know what's happening, the gun violence and all these other things, the first thing people want to blame is, is an, an inanimated object. I've got a couple of three old guns, and one day my son was in the house. He says, Daddy, has that gun gone out and killed anybody or shot anybody lately? I said, No, as far as I know, it's still there and moved. <laughs> I don't think it's been out of the house. <laughs> so, and, 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 and you see how, how that sounds? And that's what they want to do blame it on something else. Listen, it's in the heart of man. Our problem today is in the heart of the individual. James says, from whence cometh wars? Does it not come from the heart? And we have those today you would think would be smarter than that and understand that all of these things are, that are happening is coming out of the heart. And in order for it to be changed, the heart must be changed. And the only way for the heart to be changed is for God to be able, by that person's invitation to surrender to his call and submit themselves, and the heart is changed. Do I have a witness to that? That's the point that all at once we begin to see things differently. But until then, it doesn't matter about politics. Now, I want to revisit that in just a minute, maybe. Uh, my script, I'll probably go off and leave it. But I'll try not to keep you past your bread time. 
What has happened today? Why is, why has our country gone crazy? Why are we looking so much to this party and that party? Now, I'm a conservative, and I don't mind telling you. Every time I speak somewhere, I'll say, I'm not going to get political. I'm not going to get on religion. But let me make one thing clear. I am a Christian. My faith is in God through Jesus Christ. Politically, I believe in what's right. But what has happened? I preached in a church not long ago. On Sunday morning, there were nine people there. I pastored that church years ago, many, many years ago. And I can remember standing up and seeing the overflow field. I can remember the choir field. The place is just bulging. Nine people. There were nine people there. I commend you. You've got some folks here. Because if you look around, there's churches today that have ceased to exist because there's no one going. There's no one there. I mean, this is happening all over. And as I told those people the other Monday on Memorial Day, I said, the hope of our nation is in you. You are here because you believe in freedom, because you believe in God, because you believe in patriotism and in your country. And I say this morning, the hope of our country then is in you. It's in those that are following God, that are following Jesus Christ. This is the hope. And as I was praying the other day and I was thinking, and I was all bent out of shape over some of the politics, and I said, wait a minute. What we need is a revival. What we need, the only hope that we have today is not going to be in a political party. But the hope we have today is in God's people standing up for Him and seeing a revival come to each of us that might spread throughout the whole country and see a turning point because the politicians are not going to do it. They're not going to do that. But there's hope here, Tony. What would happen if a great revival broke out right here? And it can. You hear me? It can do that. Yes, it can. Don't talk about revivals years ago. Don't talk about the great crusades. Talk about today. I tell people everywhere I go, to schools and everything, what kind of country do you want? What kind of future do you want? Well, then you become that person. You become that individual, and, and, the, and the country will begin to change and become that kind of country. So what do we want to see? Do we want to see our country united again under God? Do we want to see the Spirit of God working like He wants to, the great power of God that changes people, that changes a heart? I can't change a heart. I learned a long time ago as a young preacher. I'd get all been out of shape, and I'd preach, and there wouldn't be a bunch of people come down. And then one day it's like a voice spoke to me and said, Billy, you can't change people. Quit fretting over it. Just give them the truth. And let them come to that knowledge and let them make the decision. But you quit trying to be a salesman and close. 
a cell that maybe it won't even stick. But when the Spirit of God, and I want to tell you this, in every service there are miracles that take place. They may not be one person walking the aisle. Tony, you know this. They may not be, he knows this congregation. Now, I know Tony well enough to know that, that some guys don't even know and don't care. They're like politicians that are up there serving. They don't know nothing about what's going on in their district. But when God's word goes out, they may not be one person moving in invitation. But they may be an individual sitting there that has re received some bad news recently, physically, medical news or something, and they're troubled. It may be someone that's just lost their job and they don't know what they're going to do. It may be someone whose family is just tore all to pieces. What am I going to do? A couple that's about to break up. And the word of God goes out just like a scatter gun. And it penetrates hearts that are willing to receive it. And when it hits a heart, it'll fix things if that person will allow it. And that's when miracles take place, and we may not even know it. And the guy says, I can make it. The family looks at one another. Yeah, it's, it's going to be all right. The couple yeah, we have hope. But you see, that's what God does. That's what his word does. That's why Jesus is saying, if you'll do what you ought to do and respond to God as you should, your life will change. You will become my disciple. That doesn't mean that you'll be a bad Jew. You'll be a better Jew. But then you can become my disciple and start learning things from God. You know, the, the Bible tells us, greater love hath no man than this, and a man lay down his life for his friends. Now we use that in a context, rightfully so, for those who loses their life for the, to protect someone else. And there's nothing wrong with that. But let me tell you the correct context. Now listen. Greater love had no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. Those are the words of Jesus. You know what he says next? You are my friend if you do whatsoever I command you to do. There's the key. You want to be on the, if you go back previous verses, Jesus is talking about an inner circle around him. He uses an illustration of some household, some wealthy person that always has servants that are a little closer and they know things that the others don't know. They know some of the secrets that some of the other servants don't know. You know why? Because they're in closer. Because they do what they're supposed to do. They have responsibilities to carry out and they do it. Just like they should. And Jesus is simply saying, look, I've given you instructions. If you want to be my friend, if you want to be close to me, do what I've asked you to do. And I don't have to mention to you that, do I? Every one of us knows. Let me tell you something today. 
we're part of a kingdom. We think about the government and our, excuse me, our country going crazy. And that we have a government that is not hitting on all the cylinders as a car should. Well, now I want you to, I want you to expand that thought. Everything we do is organized, isn't it? Why? Because the kingdom of God is organized. And every person that accepts Christ as their Savior is to come into the government, the kingdom of God, and be servants of the household. What happens to a machine when some of the parts go wrong? Or you take some of the parts out, and it'll flitter, 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 but you keep taking them out, and after a while it'll quit running, won't it? What about, what about the local church? I'm not talking about the church uh, uh, itself because God's going to go on. God's going to get his work done. But he gives us the opportunity to glorify him. Now then, the church, let me tell you this now, the church is not organized to serve. Now hang with me. The church is organized to glorify God. And how do we glorify God? By serving. When we serve, we glorify Him. Is that that time? <laughs> okay. All right. I see. When we serve, I told you I'd get off my script. The paper the other week said it's raining. I just did away with my script. Now, what I did, I told the folks, I said, this will make you feel better if I got notes here. <laughs> I'm going to say what God gives me. But listen, why, and let me try to get close, why are we having? Now, I know a lot of folks are on vacation and stuff. That's good. That's good. I used to encourage my people to take a pressure break about every three months. Say, we're going to go see the leaves next weekend. Well, I come out the house and I'll show you a bunch of leaves. You know? <laughs> but, uh, uh, but really, it's good to take a pressure break and they say, Preacher won't be here next weekend. We're going so and so. I say, Good. Have a good time. Make sure you come back and bring your ties back, too. <laughs> nothing's, nothing's free. But listen, we're part of the kingdom of God. Now visualize this. When we step across the threshold to be with the Lord and, and, and all the rewards are given out. Now the Bible teaches us now we're going to answer. We're going to answer for how we do, how we conduct our lives. If we hang out at the football stadium more than the church. I remember we used to have two-week revivals. And we'd have service in the morning, service in the night. And went through Saturday. And some of the greatest experiences is the last week, you know, because God was just beginning to really get a hold of life. And then all at once, well, we can't head on Saturday because this is coming up. And football came on Friday night. And then on Wednesday night, something else. And then we, we begin to do this, that, and the other. Now, how in the world do we expect to win an awful, awful 
messed up world if we don't believe in it ourselves. If we are not committed to everything that God asks us to do, what has he called you to do? I don't know. You better find out. Because when we step across the threshold and he's got the record there, and one writer, this is beautiful. And boy, I've really studied this book quite a bit, and I keep reading it over and over and over and say, how am I going to work out? And he's got in the kingdom of God, in the organization, those folks that were insignificant, that were faithful to God in their life, being right there in the palace. And then there's other jobs throughout the kingdom, even on out to the fields where people are working in the field. They're happy, they're safe, they're happy, but they're not in the palace. And some of that is some of these big shot evangelists out there in the field, see, because they got all their glory out here. You're going to buy a $54 million jet plane. Have you ever seen such as that? And people fall for that. Do you see how blind we can get? How much could you do with $54 million in Jamaica? How much could you do with that out there where people are hungry, where people are, uh, 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 all of the needs? I never, ooh, that just goes to show how blind that we can get, see? But whatever God has called you to do, please remember this, if I don't get anything else across, be a disciple of Christ. Be a disciple of Christ. Be a part of whatever is going on and remember that if you don't do it, it will go lacking. But now what God will do eventually, depending on where it is, he'll replace you. But when he replaces you, you'll suffer loss. And that's one of the things that I really am concerned about in my own life. And every night, a lot of most nights, I'll go in the living room and I sit down and I look up. My little place is in the country, but I can look to see the main, one of the main streets of the city. I say, God, thank you for letting me be a steward of this property. And one of these days I'll answer for it. Little revival, 2 Chronicles 7 and 14, you know that. If my people that are called by my name shall humble themselves, turn from their sin, pray, I'll hear from heaven. And he, he caps it off saying he'll heal the land. Our land needs healing today. Now I'm probably speaking to some of the most dedicated people today. And I realize that. So I'm not jumping on you. I'm just saying that you know as I do that we've got to pray together. We've got to hang together. And let's pray for revival. Let it begin here. Let it begin right here. What would happen if a revival begins right here, goes to the next church, goes to the next one, the next thing you know, through Hamilton County, the next thing you know to another county, and after a while it sweeps up some of these crooked politicians, and some of them begin to get changed. No longer are they a politician per se, but they become a disciple of Christ. What would happen? The powerful powerful word of God that's sharper than a two-edged sword piercing asunder even to the bone and the marrow and the soul and the spirit 
and is even a discerner of the mind of man. That that's hidden in every way from the eyes of somebody else, God sees it. And that same God can empower you and me to be the instrument. And I, that's what I got convicted over yesterday. I'm sitting there praying, uh-oh, oh boy, if I missed it. I'm looking at you know, coming up with a message. And God says, Billy, you need revival. You need revival in the church and to sweep through the land. And then healing will come. And that's what our, our country needs. While we stand, Pastor, you come on, you know your people, and you know what's going on. Thank you for allowing me to share with you. God bless you and your patriotism. God bless you and your faithfulness. Let's pray for revival, folks.